So thanks, Mike, for our gentleman in the back helping us out. So I'm Kathleen McGraw, I'm the Chief Nursing Information Officer for Microsoft, and I really appreciate, Tori, having me and your time today. Um, my background is I'm a trauma critical care nurse, and I have my master's in informatics, and my doctorate is in evidence-based practice. Um, I've worked previously as a product manager for ambulatory telehealth, so, uh, and care coordination, care management. So um, for Microsoft, right, obviously you saw uh, Katrin's um, slide, which I thought was pretty interesting. We actually leverage the majority of partners for our solutions for telehealth, and they actually build on the Microsoft platforms, if you're not familiar with that. Um, I know that Tori talked about the quadruple aim. I just want to mention the quintuple aim. Uh, around 2020, 2021, they've actually kind of shifted to this quintuple aim. The main reason is to pull out health equity. We know health equity is a big issue. Um, so we want to make sure that it's front and center for everyone so that they're aware of that. So if you're not familiar, better health, better care, lower cost, clinician experience was added. Uh, so the original triple aim came out in, with the Institute of Medicine back in the early 2000s to mid 2000s. Clinician experience was pulled out around 2015. We know that's a really big issue right now, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit, and then health equity within the last couple of years. So we really need to move essentially around our business process and our application re revolution here. We have a tremendous amount of data. It's coming in from everywhere. People cannot consume that data, right? There's a specific amount of chaos that ensues, um, especially related to cognitive overload. So we have these manual processes that are very reactive, and we need to move more towards predictive and being proactive within our processes and automation. And I really believe that automation, or artificial intelligence, telehealth, these types of things are really going to change it for our clinicians. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. So we know that we have some challenges. Um, crisis is a catalyst for innovation. So we have a new reality, uh, especially you know COVID. I don't, I don't really call it post-COVID because I think it's still moving forward and going on. But we know we have a tremendous amount of information. We have a difficult time connecting with people and moving forward with that information. So how do we essentially articulate to our patients, to our providers, what are we doing with that? So we have a tremendous amount of data. We need to get insights, and then we need to have interventions related to it. Um, we also have this consumerization of healthcare. I think Katrin really kind of teed that up. And really, it's really around an experience revolution. Um, and generationally, it actually does matter. So the Gen Zs, Gen Ys, Millennials kind of lean more towards consumerization. They don't necessarily have a, par a primary care provider anymore. The baby boomers and the seniors, they're very much into the primary care provider. So we have to kind of leverage that. Um, in addition, we know that there's kind of this shift to you know, the merge of retail and healthcare. So we have this consumerization. We have a big increase in use of retail. People got used to going to CVS to get a flu shot or to get a COVID vaccine during COVID, right? And they hadn't maybe done that previously, so now they're kind of in that mode and they're moving forward with that. And of course, we saw this big increase in telehealth because organizations really needed to make a very quick shift. So we saw this big move for telehealth. We're gonna see some changes coming up because of regulatory. So regulatory kind of um, lightened up I live in Maryland. Maryland is surrounded by DC and Virginia. We're a compact state. So there's changes that are gonna happen licensure-wise and how we can manage our patients, whether we can actually take care of a patient that's out of state. So we'll see, we'll see what happens with that moving forward. So we have you know, this opportunity here between now and 2030. What's gonna happen? All the baby boomers are gonna be 65 and they're gonna roll into the Medicare and the Medicaid system. So we really need to be able to anticipate that. We need to understand that they're gonna use retail potentially as a primary care provider. How can they look at that as their health partner? Um, we have an opportunity here 
looking at our um, commercialized products, over-the-counter products. When I go to Amazon, and I know it's 21 days since I ordered my Tylenol, how does it know that Tylenol is at the very top? They know so much about me, it's kind of frightening at a point, right? It's 21 days has, has expired since the last time I ordered that, um, that Tylenol. Um, pharmacy really is becoming more personal and outcomes-based. We're actually looking at our, our pharma companies. We're looking at precision medicine. We're looking at personomics, right, which is genomics and all the other, all the other omics that go into being person-centric. Um, we have hospitals as digital twins. So how do we build a hospital and actually know what it's going to look like prior to building that hospital? So it's called a digital twin. We also have uh, patients as digital twins. So how can I build, look at my patient potentially at what they're going to be and what's going to happen to them in the future? I can do a digital twin. Um, and I think Dr. Schmidt really brought that up around haloportation, right? There's so many things that are going to happen in the future, and we need to kind of move forward and understand where we're going to go and use those innovations. Tech is really enabling to all of this, and then insurers as wellness partners. You saw that with CVS, Aetna, with United Health. So I just want to briefly talk about the workforce crisis. The first thing I want to say is that I'm a nurse. Clinicians, all clinicians are highly resilient people. I don't know if they start out as resilient or if they just learn to be resilient, but what has kind of happened over time is their resilience has really been beaten down. So they haven't had an opportunity to kind of go through the process. They're actually second victims of the things that are happening within their healthcare. So we have to really understand how they're dealing with moral injury and moral distress. Um, we have to know that essentially when we look at what's been going on with our organizations, within hospitals and within our care providers. This is, you know, we're, we saw money come in through the pandemic and now we have a really big problem with margins because that money, federal money is no longer there. Our margins have plummeted. We know that labor expenses had increased. Um, travel nursing was costing a tremendous amount to organizations. I speak with chief nursing officers every day and I hear about we're 100 million in debt because of travelers, or we're 200 million in debt because of travelers. We're way over budget for travelers. So how are they able to leverage this workforce? And that's important, because I'm going to talk about how that impacts us within telehealth. Um, we know out, outpatient activity dropped. People decided they were going to go to an ambulatory center instead of coming to the hospital. So all those surgeries that thought we were going to be doing within hospitals, we didn't necessarily do. And then we know that we have to be able to think strategically. So how do we move forward? How do we make that 2025 plan or that 2030 plan and incorporate all the changes that we need to incorporate? This is kind of the trajectory of workforce and what's going on within the crisis. So we have this huge increasing population that's becoming older. The average nurse age is 52. The average nurse educator is age 56. And we also have a declining birth rate. So that means we have less people who can actually go into those types of fields. So how are we going to deal with it? How are we going to manage that? Um, we also have a tremendous amount of, of um, staff turnover, attrition, retention. Organizations just can't keep people. A lot of people are retiring early just to get out of the health system or they're doing some other things. So, you know, potentially we need to look at some options on how we're going to work with the, um, with, the, with the workforce the way it is now. And one of those options is really new models of care. So when I talk about new models of care, I just want to touch on very briefly kind of these digital domains. So we all talk about a digital front door, but do we really know what it means? Everybody talks about a digital front door. I always ask my customers, well, what do you mean exactly by that? Because it's nuanced depending on the organization. That's really the first touch that you have to the patient. How do you get the patient into your organization and how do you keep that patient there? 
Then we have this consumer patient-generated health data, the CGHD, it's a repository. That's kind of where all your patient data goes. How do we ensure that that data is utilized well? Like I said, how do we look at the data, get the information, use those insights, and then essentially make interventions? And at the patient level, as well as the group level, and then across your organization. Then we have this connected care platform. So that's all your remote devices. How do we connect inter the internet and medical things? Patients are walking around, we're all walking around with phones. You know, we can look at our pulse rate. Um, we have, you know, Fitbits, all different kinds of devices. And patients are sending that information in. I have doctors say, my patient sent me their EKG from their Apple Watch. I don't know what to do with that data. So we have to be able to essentially build some guidelines and understand how we're going to leverage that data. Is the doctor responsible to look at it? Are they supposed to document on it? So they don't know. So we need to figure these things out. Then we have the healthcare consumer data platform, which essentially is all the data, everything you could ever imagine anywhere. It's all together, includes your pharmacy, your CVS, your express scripts, everything. And then we have digital products and services platform. And these are, again, related to all the internet and medical things and all of the different data that can be pulled in from your patients. So we saw that COVID really drove unprecedented um, you know, demand for virtual care. And it was for many things, from prevention to diagnosis to treatment to home care. And I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into each of these so that you can see. But there was a lot of opportunity around virtual care options. It could be a phone call. It could be a video call. Um, it could be a HoloLens call. I actually have a customer that does that. They actually have the patient that is in their home. The nurse goes in, does their assessment. The nurse wears the HoloLens so they can be hands-free with the patient, do the patient assessment. They can put the HoloLens on the patient's head, and the patient can actually look at the doctor that they're talking to that's taking care of them. So we know that we have this huge demand for care. We have to understand that we need to be able to meet that demand, and that virtual care really has to be considered in many different care settings. So when we look at bringing care and providing access where patients want it, we have to kind of go from the bottom up. So you look at your community services. How are patients living well in their community? How are they thriving or are they not thriving? Um, this is really related to public health and population health. And then we have primary care and community-based services. So are we helping them with well-being? Are we helping them within their lives, understanding they need primary care and community support? Then we have community rehabilitation. So they need support. What is kind of equipment do they need? Are they able to get the equipment that they require, like durable medical equipment, if they need a hospital in bed of their home, et cetera? Then we have enhanced care, which is really the fast-acting kind of short-term support to keep you well at home to make sure that you don't come back to the hospital quickly. Um, we have a lot of algorithms around readmissions management. And some people are saying, let's move on away from readmissions management. What are some of the other potential models that we could do for our patients with all the data that we have? And then we hospital at home, which is really specialized acute care. And I'm working with a lot of organizations that are actually doing hospital in the home, hospital at home. Um, Johns Hopkins actually branded hospital at home, so I don't want anybody to be mad at me that I, that I uh, took their trademark away, so just so you're aware. And they did that in 2010. So Johns Hopkins knew 12 years ago, hospital at home was going to be a thing. And Dr. Leff, Dr. Barry Leff, actually a gerontologist, um, he actually said, you know, this is the move forward. And we're actually going to invest in this because when we take care of patients in their home, they're actually less costly than bringing them into the hospital. So he has a huge program at Johns Hopkins where he started it like 12 years ago. So you can see that there's different tiers of virtual care services. So if you go left to right, and then from the bottom,
do that. There's direct-to-consumer virtual care services. Um, so these are really like the on-demand services. So I'm a millennial. I need to see a dermatologist. I'm going to go into Zach Zach um, and say, I want an appointment, and I'm going to go see my appointment. And that example is actually a real example with a coworker um, who didn't want to wait. He's not going to go to patient first. He's going to look on an app. He's going to find an appointment somewhere, and he's gonna, he lives in New York City, and he's just going to go where that appointment is. Then we have the direct-to-patient virtual care services. These are really around providing and moderating risky patients. So they have schedule access, they can perform diagnosis, and they can get treatment. Um, we have remote patient monitoring virtual services. So these might be patients who have devices in their home for a specific disease process. And of course, a lot of it's regulatory related, related because it's really what gets reimbursed. So we know what gets reimbursed, right? Asthma, heart failure, diabetes, um, total knee, total joint, um, and a few others. So those patients go home from the hospital. They're monitored in the hospital. It's usually a 30, 60, 90 day. Um, they have a plan of care. They have a nurse that checks on them intermittently. They can say they want a virtual visit or they could get a phone call. Um, and the nurses actually do watch them, right? So one of my one of my nurse friends told me she had a patient who weighed about 140 pounds, and then one day they saw it weighed at 25 pounds. So they were like, why is this 25 pounds? So they called the patient, and they said to the patient, Tell, we, you know, we saw a weight of 25. First they said, do you have a cat? And she said, no. Do you have a grandchild? No. And they said, we saw a weight. She's like, why are you calling me and asking me this? She said, we saw a weight, 25 pounds, and we were just wondering where that came from. It went into your medical record, and we just need to know what to do with it. And she went, oh, I was weighing my Thanksgiving turkey, so I would know how long I needed to cook it, right? It's so many minutes per pound. She's like, it's really good to know that you're really watching me that closely. And they said, that's good. We're going to get rid of this 25 pounds so that we know that was an error for us, right? So actually, these things really happen. And when you're working in patients' homes, you really need to understand, you know, for the patient, how they work, for the, pa for the nurse coming in, or the technician that's coming in. And then there's a lot of tech that technical that goes into it, right? Are they able to manage the devices that they have? Are they able to use the tablet? Especially if they get older, can be a little bit tougher. Um, then we have complex care management, um, which is really virtual care services that are optimized around specific care management for people that are really ill in their home, that you want to keep them in their home, you don't want to bring them back to the hospital. And then we have hospital at home, and there's very strict criteria around hospital in the home. Um, essentially, they have to have a nurse visit, they have to have a physician visit, it has to be um, documented. Um, depending on the organization, essentially what they've done is take their electronic medical record, they make a new unit that's hospital in the home, they put the patients in that unit. So they essentially are managing the patients like they're physically in the hospital, like in a unit, but they're actually out of the hospital. And there's a lot of things that you can do to decide who is eligible for hospital at home. Right? Is there a predictive analytics that you could leverage? Because you don't want to put a patient in their home if they're at high risk, say, for having pulmonary issues or heart conditions, things like that. So you have to really look at those patients well and decide which ones you're going to manage, and then who actually gets those visits and when they get those visits. Um, so we have this advanced care at home. There's a lot that goes into it. You can really say, essentially, that you're taking the patients home, you're transforming it hospital. So you have to take into consideration all the services that um, need to be included. You have the skilled nursing, you may have rehab, you have uh, IV access, or you have laboratory. Um, you have imaging, right? You can, do, um, you can do imaging remotely. I mean, we saw what you did on, in space. So this is just in a patient's home, right? You're sending someone there, they're going to take an x-ray. Um, obviously, CAT scan wouldn't be possible, but you know, those types of things. You have paramedicine. Um, I know hospitals during COVID, they decided to manage uh, COVID patients in their home. 
So they essentially were on oxygen, a pulse oximeter, and they had blood pressure cuff. They sent them home, and because they were so short-staffed with nurses, they actually had respiratory therapists and paramedics that went out and visited the patient in their homes to continue to monitor them, and they actually did really well. Um, the, uh, we have a medical command center, so the, essentially the providers are able to coordinate and know who needs to visit, when they need to visit, which licensed personnel, non-licensed personnel, um, and then we essentially have that centralized doctor and nurse team. So you can see that post-COVID, we've really seen an increase, a spike in this. It's just leveraging technology that we've always had, but the crisis, again, kind of forced this function of moving patients out of the hospital that didn't necessarily need to be in the hospital. So when we're looking at virtual capabilities, we really need to understand the scale of how it can be done. Um, we have to leverage the assets that we already have, especially the digital assets. Um, we see a lot of innovation that has stops and starts, a proof of concept or a pilot here or there. Change management's huge behind this. How do you get your organization to implement? How do you get them to understand that this is really something that's possible? Um, I think we're going to see in the future, there is really no hospital of the future. We're going to see that the majority of people are going to be managed in their homes as much as possible. And, you know, the patients will tell you, I want to be home with my pets. They don't usually say family. They pretty much rely on their pets, right, versus their family. Um, so you can see that you have to look at prioritization. Um, there's this value-based exchange that occurs, right? So we have to look at value. Um, versus fee-for-service. So what's the value of having that patient in their home? How can we keep them out of the hospital? And how are we able to open that bed maybe in the hospital for someone who needs to be in that bed specifically? So some of the critical success factors when you're looking at digital transformation are really around having a good multidisciplinary team that includes physicians, nurse practitioners, nurses, and all your support staff. Um, I did mention support staff earlier, but they're really, um, really a crisis now within support staff. I had a chief nursing officer tell me that they have a big problem hiring support staff because they're competing with Chick-fil-A, which I saw today was like the number one, like whatever, because they pay 17, in North Carolina, Chick-fil-A pays $17 an hour, they get every Sunday off, and they get a free chicken sandwich for lunch. And he said, I can't compete with a free chicken sandwich for lunch. So this is real, this is real, real world evidence, RWE, that I'm hearing from organizations that they can't get staff because their competition is just so great. Um, and if you go to Chick-fil-A, normally the staff is really happy, right? You never have them like cranky or anything like that. Um, you have to have a good change management approach, as I had previously mentioned. Um, culturally, you have to really be a learning culture, and being able to help your organization make those changes. I think that within healthcare, we have a very, I've been in healthcare for a really long time. Um, we have a really difficult time changing culture. Um, it has to really be from the top down, right? Your leadership team really needs to understand there needs to be a change in culture. Um, you need to partner with the AI experts, so you really need to have people that can explain what's going on, especially if you're leveraging artificial intelligence. It can't be a black box. It has to be explainable. It has to be implementable, and people have to understand it. Your clinicians are not just going to go with it, right? They have to understand why. Um, there has to be a workflow. It has to be as seamless as possible. That's why most organizations kind of take their EMR and they put a new unit because that's the workflow that their nurses, their clinicians understand and they're able to incorporate that a little bit easier. And then you really have to understand that these are a priority and identify it as a priority within your organization. So I'm happy to take questions at any time. I'll be here for a little while longer and I really appreciate again your attention and hopefully this was helpful.